Good afternoon, and welcome to Ask the Expert, presented by the National Resource Center on ADHD. My name is Karen Sampson-Hoffman, and I'd like to welcome you today to today's webcast. No more homework battles. Learn proven homework, organization, and planning techniques to make your child's school year a success. Today we are hosting Joshua Langberg, author of Improving Children's Homework, Organization, and Planning Skills. The Ask the Expert webcast series gives the general public access to top clinicians, researchers, and other professionals. The National Resource Center is a partnership between CHAD and the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention and serves as the national clearinghouse for the latest evidence-based information on ADHD. We'll have a recording of today's webcast on the National Resource Center on ADHD's website, help4adhd.org, under Ask the Expert in about two days. If you, want, if you want to watch the recording before then, please follow the same link you followed to join us today. The recording will be available about 30 minutes following our presentation. We may not be able to get to all of your questions today. If you would like to talk with a health information specialist for further information on today's topic, please contact us Monday through Friday from 1 to 5 p.m. at 1-800-233-4050 or online at help4adhd. Org. Finally, following our webcast, a brief survey will appear on your screen. Please take a couple of minutes to let us know what you think and how we can better serve the ADHD community through the Ask the Expert webcast series. It is a privilege to introduce today's guest, Dr. Joshua Langberg. Dr. Langberg is an assistant professor in the Department of Psychology at Virginia Commonwealth University, where he serves as co-director for the Center for ADHD Research, Education, and Service. Dr. Langberg's research and professional interests are focused on improving the academic performance of children and teens with ADHD. Dr. Langberg developed his Homework, Organization, and Planning Skills, or HOPS, method to address the specific academic difficulties frequently experienced by young people with ADHD. If you'd like to ask Dr. Langberg a question following his presentation, written questions can be submitted in the questions box on your toolbar, as indicated by the red arrow shown in this slide. All questions are moderated, and we will get to as many as possible during our Q&A portion of the webcast. Once more, we are very pleased to welcome this afternoon's guest. Dr. Langberg, if you would like to begin. Thank you. I really appreciate the opportunity to speak today and um, especially on this topic as we get ready to start the school year. And my, my hope is that I can convey at least one or two strategies that uh, parents listening might find helpful as um, we start school or get ready to start school. Um, briefly, why I focus on homework and organization, it's going to come as no surprise to most people listening. I'm sure that many students with ADHD um, really have difficulty getting homework completed. Some of our work shows that students with ADHD complete around 10 to 15 percent fewer homework assignments in comparison to their peers, and that would be each semester, not over the course of the year. That was repetitive over time. Uh, homework materials management, meaning organization of homework materials, transferring things to and from school and how you organize your materials, seems to be particularly important. And um, there's one longitudinal study showing that homework materials management actually is rated by parents in elementary school predicted their GPA in adolescence when they were high school age, above and beyond a lot of other important factors. So these are issues that are quite common. We see them in our ADHD clinic all the time. In fact, I'd venture that it's probably the most 
commonly raised issue. Um, and so that's why I wanted to uh, focus and provide some strategies today. Briefly, I want to talk about um, how I think about ADHD and how I think about ADHD in school settings, because I think that might help listeners to understand why I'm recommending some of the intervention strategies I'm recommending. Um, children with ADHD, in my experience, and I think the research supports this, find it very difficult to work towards distant rewards or positive outcomes available in the future. So the prospect of working towards these distant rewards is just not meaningful in the context of the many other rewards which are immediately available. Um, I want to give some examples of this here in a second. But children with ADHD find immediately available rewards very powerful, and they'll typically engage in whatever behavior is most immediately reinforcing, even if doing so has negative longer-term implications. So let me just give an example. Ch uh, children are faced with these um, decisions in school all the time between in engaging in something that's immediately reinforcing versus something that has a potential positive long-term benefit. For example, a child might be faced with choosing to record their homework assignment in sufficient detail on a planner before leaving class. There is no immediately available reward for engaging in that behavior, only a potential long-term gain, right? Potentially, if I record my homework now, then I'm going to know what it is when I get home, and then I might be able to study, and I might be able to do well in a test. We're talking way down in the future. In contrast, there's a naturally available immediate reward for not doing so. There's many, but one of them would be getting to go out into the hall more quickly to talk with your friends. Um, in our clinic, we see all the time that children with ADHD will often seek out immediately available reward if none seems available to them, even if they have to engage in negative behaviors to get that reward. So consider the role of attention, for example, as a reward. A child with ADHD might act out in class, which results in immediate attention, the class laughing, even though that behavior might result in a long-term negative consequence. But to a child with ADHD, that immediately available reinforcer wins. It's more powerful, if you will. Uh, and unfortunately, the school environment is not at all conducive to children who thrive on immediately available rewards and consistent, frequent, positive feedback. If you think about schools, they're all about delayed reinforcement. If you study now, perhaps you'll do well on a test later, those types of things. Schools typically provide very little positive immediate feedback for engaging in these behaviors that we want to see, these organization, these homework, time management, and planning behaviors. In fact, many schools, although certainly not all, only provide feedback to parents uh, when a child does something wrong. So you often receive infrequent feedback and only for negative behaviors, which is really the opposite of what we want to change behavior. So, all that said, the premise of what I'm going to talk about today is designed to try to counteract these things. If you believe that this is what children are driven by, is these immediate opportunities for reward, we need to think about how can we provide immediate opportunities for reward, for attention, for engaging in these positive homework organization and time management behaviors. So enough said about that. Into strategies. What I'm going to do is I'm going to talk about the basic premise for these strategies, and then I'm going to give two examples. And then if people want to ask questions about how you would apply these strategies to other behaviors, I'm happy to answer them. I would say that you could apply these strategies to any behavior, including in the social domain, emotion domain, um, but I'm going to focus on academics today. The first thing we need to do is to focus on telling the child um, what 
we want to see, and specifically defining what we want to see. This seems obvious, but we, often, we don't often do this. We don't often specifically tell the child what does it mean to be organized, what does it mean to record your homework well. We often tell them, we often focus on the negative. We tell them, um, I need you to be more organized. You're not organized enough. You're not recording your homework enough. So the first thing we're going to do is specifically define what we want to see. When we go into any of these systems, um, in, in my experience working with children with ADHD, we have to remember that they're going to approach any new system that a parent has to offer with great pessimism. And that's unfortunately because they've often had lots of repeated failure experiences. People have tried many systems or deals or bargains with them in the past. So this needs to be different. It needs to be a positive experience, and we need to gain their buy-in. And I really think that that's critical. And I'm going to talk a little bit about how to do that. When we talk about identifying something we want to change, I think it's important to identify one or two specific behaviors initially. Um, it can be tempting to want to take on a lot of different things and to try to improve a bunch of different behaviors at once. And in, in my experience, patience can be the hardest part of working with children with ADHD. But the key is that we want to identify one or two specific things initially um, because if we try to do too much, we're setting the child up for failure, or we may be setting the parent up for failure and not being able to monitor consistently these things. And then yet again, the child learns that these systems don't work, that they, they shouldn't be motivated to do these systems, and we really want to avoid that. We want to break that pattern. The interventions I'm going to talk to about today are all based in the idea of um, behavioral principles. And what I mean by that is that we need to specifically define a behavior monitor it consistently, and provide immediate positive feedback as frequent as possible. That's really what behavioral treatment is about. And that, that's in contrast to other treatments, say for anxiety or depression, that might have cognitive components. Unfortunately, for kids with ADHD, talking about these things, explaining why they should do these things, about why it's important long term, doesn't work. And we really need to focus on um, monitoring and providing these immediate rewards. I'm going to give an example here. Um, so this is a figure that I put together that is supposed to represent all of the behaviors that go into completing homework. So when we talk about specifically defining what does it mean to complete your homework, um, it gets a lot more detailed than that. And sometimes I think we miss that. So if we just work around this figure with me, the first step is that the student has to record assignments accurately in sufficient detail. And that's something we might want to work on with a child. That's a behavior we might want to specifically define that we want to see. That's completely different than the next step, which is student ensures all materials needed to complete work are brought home. That's an organization behavior. If that's what we want to focus on and that's what we want to see, then we need to specifically define something that focuses in that arena. The next one has to do with planning ahead for the completion of homework and studying for tests. Again, we're in a completely different arena here. This is a completely different set of behaviors. Um, this has to do with thinking about when a test is going to be, breaking things into smaller pieces, studying uh, a little bit at a time. Then we get into managing time effectively. We go to the next box, which is physically completes work. This could be a problem with um, disorgan with um, I'm sorry, with failing to pay attention, 
or with focus during homework, which again is a completely different behavior than we've talked about so far. So I think, uh, I think I'll stop there. Um, the point I'm trying to make is that when we're trying to specifically define something, we really need to get down to the nitty-gritty of what we mean. And even just within the example of turning in homework, it's clear that there are many different behaviors that we could target on. And the question is, where do we want to start? Which one of these behaviors do we want to start with? Here I'm talking about, um, I give an example of organization. What does organization mean? We might tell a child we want them to be more organized, but it's not clear what that means. Similarly, we often tell children um, we want them to study for 20 minutes. What does that mean? It's really important to agree on the specifics ahead of time um, so, that that, so that we don't have, one of the many reasons is so that we don't have arguments and so that the, um, we're setting the child up to succeed. Realistic initial goals. If we assume that the child has had many systems tried with them in the past and is waiting to fail, then we really want to almost guarantee their success. This has to be different. This has to be a different school year. We have to identify a behavior and set a goal that we almost guarantee that they will achieve. We can always raise that goal later. We can always shape behavior. But in my opinion, if you set a goal for a child, and they don't achieve that goal, that's our fault. The system, we set that goal inappropriately. We want the most important part of starting out any system is to gain buy-in. Once the child sees they can do something, their motivation for pursuing it further will increase. If, if we set a goal and they immediately fail to achieve that goal, the system is done. Once we've specifically defined a behavior, uh, and again, I'm going to go through a couple examples of what I mean by this. The question is, who's going to monitor that behavior? And how frequently is it going to be monitored? And what type of immediate positive feedback, or reward if you will, is the child going to receive? Um, generally, more monitoring is, and more frequent monitoring works better because you have more opportunities for success. Uh, that said, it, more monitoring very frequently is difficult, and there are issues with feasibility in there. So we need to make sure that whatever monitoring schedule we set up, we can commit to. We can do that feasibly. The, the other reason that monitoring frequently, and what I mean by that, for example, is checking a child's homework that they recorded daily instead of weekly. Let's just use that example. Is that children are going to mess up. They're going to have difficulty and they're going to have bad days, just like we do. And the more frequently you're monitoring, the more opportunities they have to get back on track. So in, you'll see on the slide it says avoid long-term consequences. Just consider if you um, were to monitor something once a week and um, the child were to um, know early on in the week that they couldn't achieve that goal because they already messed up on Monday or Tuesday. They have absolutely no um, reason to work Wednesday, Thursday, or Friday to try to engage in those behaviors you want to see. It's already, they've already lost that opportunity. Whereas a, a parent who is doing some kind of monitoring on a daily basis, um, a child can have a difficult day and have the opportunity to get back on track and still earn, earn that monitoring and positive attention the next day. I keep using the term rewards, which sometimes um, have negative connotations. I want to take a minute to explain that. Oftentimes we think of rewards very narrowly. We often think of money or um, something big like a video game or a new bike. Um, but I want to clarify that I think of rewards much more broadly than that. Earlier in this presentation I mentioned attention. 
the attention is probably the most powerful reward that's out there, whether that be positive or negative attention. When we get attention from our peers or our uh, coworkers at work or our boss, that can be incredibly motivating um, to engage in positive behaviors again in the future. Um, it's also important to consider if, you're, if, if the word rewards is, has, is averse to you a little bit, it's also important to consider, I think, that rewards are already available naturally all the time for negative behaviors. And so our goal is really to counteract that and to make them available for positive behaviors because schools aren't naturally doing that. So the, this first example I give here, if I come home from school and you ask me what I have to do for homework, and I say I have no homework, what happens? I get to go outside and play, at least uh, hypothetically. If I say I have homework, that means I'm going to have to sit down and do my homework. And so there is a naturally available reward in that case available for, for doing the wrong thing, for, for lying, if you will, and saying I don't have homework. The question is how are we going to counteract that? How are we going to make an immediately available reward for recording homework and being truthful about what needs to be done. Um, just a little bit more about rewards. It's fine if you want to just start with positive praise and attention. If you want to monitor something frequently and consistently and you just want to um, provide your child with attention and praise, that meaning that they did a good job in that area and how you really appreciate that, oftentimes that's very effective. Sometimes parents will also want to do more formal reward or point systems. Point systems are ideal because they help us get more immediate in terms of near to when the behavior occurs. What I mean by that is that if a child, for example, um, recorded their homework and they did that for four classes, they could receive one point for each class. And that's fairly immediate in terms of, it's about immediate as you can get as a parent in terms of rewarding them for recording that homework. Um, one thing to consider is a reward menu, and I'm going to show you an example here on the next slide. I also think it's important to try to get creative. Um, we, can, we can get stuck in ruts with, when we think about rewards. Um, I have some examples on here. Some of them might be kind of silly, but you can look these up online, really. There are pages and pages of rewards that you can think of, um, from 10 minutes throwing the football with dad or mom, to picking a different type of dinner to later bedtime, and you can, it's really surprising um, what you might find motivates your child. Here's an example of a reward menu. So um, this is a fairly basic one that we leaned on things here that we know are often meaningful to kids and that for, for good or bad is often video game time or screen time. And here you can see there's different point values. So again, take our example where the child is recording homework daily. Let's say they can earn four points a day, one point for every assignment they recorded. Well, then you can view that in this context. A child could cash in two of those points right after school for some of these things. A child might want to save their points up for some of these longer term things. So you can have both longer term and shorter term items on a reward menu. It's often helpful to get the child involved in creating such a menu. So briefly what I'm going to do is talk about how to apply these principles to two behaviors. Like I said, I think you can apply them to any behavior, but I'm just going to pick two examples. And one, this first one is what I've already been using as my example. So let's say you wanted to target homework recording. You wanted this to be the year that your child records homework accurately every day. Why might you want to focus on that specific behavior? 
Well, let's say that your, your school's online system it doesn't work very well or it's not very consistent. If it is, and you can verify this, maybe this isn't the behavior you want to target. Let's say that you have daily arguments with your child or battles over what was assigned and they're saying they don't know or, or that they, um, you're not sure if they're telling the truth. Well, this might be something that you wanted to target going into this school year. So thinking about our principles that we talked about, what are we going to do? We're going to tell the child what to do. So we're going to tell the child to record homework in the planner. Well, that's um, I'm, I'm kind of joking here. I mean, as you can, as we talked about here a minute or two ago, that's very general, and I'm not sure what that means. So we might take the next step, and we might say write something in each core class space. Core class being math, social studies, things like that. We're getting better with that. That's, that's realistic, but what we need to think about is that really what we're asking for? Is that really what we want the child to see? We might want to get even more specific. So a definition you might use is homework is recorded so that the parent can read and could independently determine what to do. Now I know that perhaps um, people are chuckling or that seems a little silly, but the more specific that we can get, the more it's likely that we're going to avoid arguments over what the child was expected to do and the parent's definition of what was expected versus the kid's definition being different. You might also define these further. Um, you might have other things on this checklist. You're not just going to check to see if homework was recorded every day. You're going to check to see if upcoming tests and quizzes are recorded in the planner. And you might, um, if your child is, say, in middle school or high school and developmentally it's appropriate for them to be thinking about time management and planning, you might start tracking every day whether or not the, the child is recording study times in their planner. So they might designate a time to study for a test. For example, on Friday they write test today. And on Wednesday they write study for test 20 minutes. Or they might write make 20 flashcards. Those are very advanced skills, honestly. But if that's what we want to see, that's what we need to specifically define, and that's what we need to specifically monitor. We often tell children that they have to write the words no homework if there is none. It just gets away from um, arguments over what a blank slot means. So the next step is who's going to monitor that, who's going to, hopefully we can do that daily because homework is recorded daily and for the reasons we talked about earlier. And then we can assign points to that. So here I just give some examples. One point for each assignment recorded, two points for designating a time to study, that's a more advanced skill. The point values are really irrelevant. You can assign any points you want. It's just how you choose to link those up with your reward menu. Lastly, I'm going to give an example um, that you might do for organization of materials. Sometimes that might be the main issue here, that the child is um, not bringing home what you need them to bring home to help them complete homework. Or they sometimes children complete work and they forget to bring it back in school, which can be incredibly frustrating. So maybe you want to focus on organization of materials. So again, what you want to do is tell the child what to do. What does it mean to be organized? and so that we can be clear on that. Um, I have found that checking organization of binder and book bag is probably not necessary on a daily basis. Um, probably once or twice a week is sufficient. For some children, not, but oftentimes it is. Here's an example of a, a checklist you might create that you're going to use to monitor your child's organization. Here are the criteria. Again, you can make any criteria you want, but this is my attempt at being very specific. There are no loose papers in the book bag. There are no loose papers in the binder. 
Um, we often encourage children to use a homework folder, and that's the first folder in their binder. And anything that has to do with homework for that day has to be in that folder, so we check that. Anything that has to be turned in is in the right side of the folder. What happens is that papers build up in those folders over time. They just accumulate lots. It becomes a big fat folder. We don't want that. So then it says only current homework papers are in the homework folder. So what we want is the child to take papers that are done, they've completed, and file them in their sections in the binder. And then I would simply check yes or no whether or not the child met these things. This is the actual checklist that I've used with a child. Um, and, and then you could assign one point for each of the criteria that the child meets. It can be helpful to establish a self-management plan with the child if, their, if organization is what you're targeting. Again, remember, we want them to have success. We don't want to surprise them with this check and have them fail. So I gave an example of something you might say to your child. I'm not going to read that, but um, to help them think about how are they going to keep their book bag and their binder clean so that when you do your check, they are successful and they're ready. Some children find that they want to organize a little bit every day after school. It's typically not feasible for children to organize their materials in school, by the way. They're running around from class to class. Um, and so oftentimes when they come home, they might want to put things in order. Or they might want to do it once a week on Saturday. If they're going to do it once a week on Saturday, then we might think about how are we going to remind the child to do this. We might create visual prompts, a sign that says, remember to do this. Um, it's okay, it, in my experience, if the parent reminds the child to do their self-management plan, but it works best if the child and parent agree on how many reminders is, are going to be allowed. And again, that might seem silly, but what happens is it can be very aversive to a child if they're told over and over and over and over to do their self-management plan, to make sure they organize their things. Some children won't want any reminders. Some children will just want one, and, and so it's important to think about that and to have the specifics of that worked out. So what hap hopefully happens here is that um, the child does their organization for the week, say on Saturday, and you come right behind later Saturday or on Sunday, and you do their, uh, your check with your checklist, and they earn all their points. That would be ideal. You'll see in the text here for the self-management plan, we try to keep things very positive. And this is the last thing I'll say, and we can open it up to questions. I think how you present these systems going into a school year to, ch to a child is critical. Um, I think in what you say is almost as important as what the system is. Um, if you say something negative, meaning um, you've had lots of difficulty with organization and homework in the past, it's really been frustrating having to try to figure out what you're going to do um, write down for homework. I can't figure it out from day to day, and so we're going to monitor you this year. That seems very negative. Um, you can say the same thing in a very positive way, and again, increasing the likelihood the child is going to buy in. So, for example, I know that in middle school um, you, you have four or five or six different teachers. I don't know how you do it. You've been doing your best to keep up with all these teachers. It really is a lot of work. I'm not even sure I could keep up with all these teachers. Your mom and dad and I realize this is a ton of work, and so we want to give you the opportunity um, we want to reward you for your success and all this work you're putting in. So we're going to monitor every day the homework that we know you're going to do a great job recording this year, and you're going to earn points for that. And why don't we sit down and look at a reward menu? I basically just established the same system in two different ways, uh, except in one way I would hope the child is going to 
want to buy into that system, although again, they're still going to be skeptical. In the other way, I don't think the child's going to buy in or they're going to be resistant to that system. So really think hard about how you frame these things to your children. I really think that's half the battle. Um, with that, I'm done. What, what I put up here is the, um, the book that was mentioned. It's, it, it's for parents. And um, it essentially tries to outline how to use these principles for multiple different academic behaviors. And a lot of what I said today is in there just in a lot greater detail. That's it. Wonderful, wonderful. All right, participants, we're ready to take your questions. Once again, please use the question box to submit your questions. And we have two questions that are similar to each other that have already come in. One is from Gwen. And she was looking for advice when a parent has multiple children with ADHD. And John has the flip. He asks, how do you balance the rewards that you've suggested when two children have ADHD and, other, and two other children in the family don't have ADHD? So how do you kind of do that balance for more than one child? Those are wonderful questions. I appreciate them, them being asked. Um, uh, in my opinion, the principles that we're talking about now are they're positive principles. They're identifying what we want to see children do, and they're reinforcing at least verbally praise for those behaviors. So I don't see it as a problem to do it for all children. In, in fact, think about your own work environment. You, I would hope that some of you have bosses who operate in this way. They identify what they want you to do, and then they remember to come back and give you positive feedback on it, ADHD or not. And so in these circumstances, I think it actually can be helpful to have a family-level plan um, at which um, all everyone in the family either has different goals depending on where they are. So a high school student might be earning points for developing um, more advanced time management strategies or self-management strategies in preparation for college, and a younger student might be doing something different. Or you might have everybody do the same thing. Perhaps you check homework recording for everyone when they come home from school just to make sure it's even and we're not singling anyone out. Uh, that would be my advice, just because I really don't see anything negative that can come from giving, say, a non-ADHD child positive feedback on a behavior. I just think that that would create a, uh, a more positive family environment. All right, thank you. Well, our next question comes from John again, and uh, actually from a different John. We've got two with us today. And he was wondering, recording homework is something that his student does at school. So how can he, as the parent, monitor the recording of the homework when he's not present when that's being written down. So if I understand the question, it, um, it has to do with how do you as a parent um, evaluate whether what the child wrote is accurate. And that is a very difficult uh, issue that, that comes up all the time. And so it really seems to, in my experience, to depend on the school. Sometimes um, schools have ways to check these things, online systems that you can go on and check. Is what my child recorded accurate? If that's the case, you might want to do that either daily or if that's not necessary and if that's a lot of work, you might want to do that um, weekly. But you do want some type of check. Um, oftentimes what we will do is tell the child that we're going to start off at a place of trust that what they're recording is accurate, and but we're going to, for example, um, check with the teacher 
once per week or teachers once per week, and we may, we may do that or we may not do that. We may do it once every other week to see if what was recorded was accurate. Because um, you're right, you, you need some way of determining if what they write down is accurate because not, they're not doing that in your presence. A final way that we sometimes recommend, uh, children often don't like it, but it gets around this issue, is teacher initials. And so essentially what we have teachers do, and they do this at a lot of schools, honestly, already, at least some of them that I work in, um, the child will record their homework, and they will ask the teacher to in put their initials by the recorded homework to signify that what they recorded is accurate. When we do this, we have to have the child emphasize, or we, we emphasize, that it's the child's responsibility. If you tell a teacher oftentimes that it's their responsibility to remember to initial child's planner, it, it often doesn't go so well, and for very good reason, teachers are very busy and it's difficult to initial lots of planners. Um, nevertheless, if, if this is feasible and a child can get the teacher initials, then that really gets around this issue. And so when a child comes home, then I'm saying, how many initials in their four classes did they get? Two out of four, three out of four, four out of four. And I would essentially be assigning points for an initial rather than for what was recorded. And that served as my accuracy check. Um, I think that's a good system. Some children like that system. Some children are very resistant to that system, which is why I often don't go there first, just because that some um, adolescents, for example, might find it embarrassing to get initials, and they might really push back on that. Great. Thank you. Well, our next question is coming for Gen from Jennifer. And she was wondering, what if the issue at hand is how much homework, the sheer quantity of homework that is assigned to students? She said that her fourth grader is already spending two to three hours an evening working on his homework. Um, thank you for that question. I, um, I, there's two issues here. Uh, as I understand it. One is the level of homework being assigned by the school and is that appropriate. Um, I'm not going to touch that one because that really varies and uh, concepts of what's developmentally appropriate varies. Um, however, the other issue is a common one which is many children with ADHD take longer to complete work than uh, children without ADHD. Often that's due to difficulties with focus or getting off task or getting distracted when you're completing homework. And if that's the approach you want to take, I want to teach my child to be more efficient in completing their homework, or at least that's where I want to start. Then the same principles that I talked about today apply, except we're going to, um, uh, we're going to specifically define what it means to be on task during homework. We're going to track on-task behavior during homework completion. We're going to set specific work completion goals. What I mean by that is you might, I'm, I'm just saying something at random here, you might earn five points if you complete um, 20 math problems in the next 10 minutes and at least um, 10 of them are accurate. It's important to have accuracy in there too so children don't just rush through their work. So we're essentially specifically defining on-task behavior. We're specifically defining work completion goals, and we're providing points for those to try to teach children to focus and be more efficient with their work completion to perhaps get the time that they're taking down from three hours to two hours or two hours to one hour. But that's a difficult one. Um, uh, but again, I would say the same principles apply. I just didn't choose that behavior as one to go into great detail with the, with the presentation. All right. Well, thank you. Uh, we've had several parents who have uh, asked a similar question. They're wondering what to do if the point system that you've outlined earlier isn't working for their family, isn't working with their students. 
what would they be the next step or how could they make adjustments? That's great. Um, and I'm, I really appreciate that question because um, in my experience, point systems, these systems, just like medication for that matter, is often a systematic process of trial and error. And I often go into point, when I work with parents, I often go into these systems telling them and tell, to tell the child or, um, that we expect to need to change this. We expect this to not work right the first time. Why is that? There are many variables that go into whether or not a system is um, effective. If your system is not effective with your child, and I go into this in, in great detail in the book, I think you need to ask yourself a series of questions about the system. It's it's, most often you can figure out um, what is going wrong and you can change that. I'm just going to go through a few of them. Did we set a realistic enough goal or did we set the goal too high and we set the child up to fail? That's one possible, possible a variable in this system. Another one might be, um, were we specific enough or were we too vague and, and we had a disagreement with the child and now they're not buying it or motivated anymore? Um, another one might be, are the rewards or the points that we establish for this system salient? Does the kid really care about this? And what I mean by that is, for example, if you, um, again, I, I don't think you need to use money, but just in this example, if a child is, has the potential to earn $5, but they already have a bank account with $100, it seems on face value maybe that $5 is, is meaningful, but we might question whether or not we're using the best reward and maybe we could actually move to something that's going to be better at motivating the child. We might ask ourselves, um, are we doing too much at once? Did we target too many behaviors and so it was overwhelming or confusing for the child? Um, that's another one. We might ask ourselves, did we, are we, did we as a parent not follow through on our end of the bargain? Did we not monitor consistently? Uh, and the last one is, did we as a parent keep everything in a positive tone? And that's one where I often find myself falling down and other people uh, that I work with having a hard time. So, for example, if a child comes home and they on the first day of our system they recorded four out of four homework assignments or three out of four homework assignments, let's say, and my response is, that's great, but why did you miss this fourth one? Or that's great. But why did you? Um, why is your book bag still a mess and your binder still has papers in it? Then that's our fault. We've um, we've taken away that positive. The points don't matter in that case. It's the negative feedback that you're giving your child that matters in that case, and they're going to lose motivation to do that. Their read of that situation is going to be no matter what I do, mom or dad says something negative about another behavior. And so that's where patience becomes critical. That's where letting go of some of these other behaviors and focusing on what they're doing well with that one behavior is really hard to do, but it's critical. So the, the, the point of the matter is, is that each of those things I just mentioned are critical to having an effective system. And if one of those is slightly off, the system won't work. And that's why I say that it's a, it's a process of trial and error. And honestly, um, it, it, it's, um, sometimes I find parents can do this on their own and they, and they manipulate things and try different things and try to stay patient with it. Oftentimes it can be beneficial to meet with someone, a, a child psychologist who has expert in behavioral systems because that's really um, supposed to be their job. But their job is supposed to be able to help you systematically manipulate things and think through which one of these components is not working and why. Because it is complicated. It really is complicated.
All right, thank you. I think that was really helpful. And uh, well, our next two questions are similar questions, and they are coming from Emily and from Tanya. Both of them have sons, and Emily's son is having issues with all of the steps of the schoolwork management, the time management, and was wondering where would you recommend to begin to start? Which step is the most important to focus on? And Tanya has the has a similar issue. Her son is completing his homework, but he's not turning it in. So what would you suggest to these two mothers? Well, to the first, um, I, I hear that a lot. My, you know, my, my child has difficulties with all these areas. And, um, and again, um, that, that can be very frustrating. And so I would, I would advise picking, it doesn't have to be one, we might be able to pick two. So for example, you might be able to monitor your child's binder and book bag organization once per week and also monitor their homework planner every day. I think that's feasible. I think if you get much beyond that, then you might be uh, pushing it a little bit. But so those two behaviors I've seen work together nicely in a system. And if you target those two behaviors, we're really getting a number of those um, if you think about the figure that I presented, we're really uh, targeting multiple things. We're targeting multiple boxes there. The other way to think about it is um, what, which of these behaviors is causing you the most difficulty or causing most stress or argument in your family? If every day sitting down to complete homework is a battle and it's leading to arguments and it's just draining, I would probably focus, start there and focus on the on-task behaviors during homework try to get a positive system in place for actually completing work. Uh, another thing to consider would be if you really feel like you have no idea what your child is supposed to do every day and they're really not writing it down whatsoever or very little, then you kind of have to start there because everything else follows in line with that. You can't help the child um, put homework in the homework folder if you don't know what it's supposed to be and you can't help them complete homework if you don't know what it's supposed to be. So those are some ways I would think about prioritizing. I uh, empathize that that's very difficult to do so because as a parent you're essentially making a choice to focus on one thing per perhaps to the detriment of something else. But again, unless we stay positive with this one thing or these two things, um, the child's unlikely to buy in. We'll, we'll get to these things later, but we need to be patient. To the latter question, um, uh, it's another one that we, we've seen and it's incredibly frustrating to work with a child on homework to see it completed and then to find out that it wasn't turned in the next day. Um, without knowing the specifics of the situation in general, I would, I would um, suggest the organizational intervention in which there's a homework folder where the left side is work to be completed and the right side is work to be turned in. And if the parent can assist and make sure that the work, um, the child puts their work to be turned in on the right side when they leave for school that day, then it um, should be simply a matter of communicating with the teacher that that's the process that they're using and the parent is providing a point for making sure each day that, that homework to be turned in is on that right side of the homework folder and hopefully that would take care of it. But um, it may be more complex with, than that and I realize that. All right, thank you. Well, Douglas has a, a question. His struggle is getting his child to be truthful about the homework that's assigned. You mentioned earlier kids saying, you know, I don't have any homework, I get to go out to play. How can he encourage his child to be truthful about the homework? Um, thank you for that question. That's certainly a common one. I, I will. Um, <laughs> we've seen a lot, and I, I don't. I really don't think it's because kids are bad in any way. It's just because 
in that situation, the immediately available reinforcement is there for saying, I don't have any homework. And that's very powerful. And they know that their parent's going to catch them later, but that's distant, that's in the future. And at least for a child with ADHD, in my experience, the immediate saying, I don't have homework, will win every time. And so we need to think about how can we turn the table. If rewards are naturally available for saying no, how can we turn the table and, and have immediately and frequent positive feedback and or rewards available for being truthful? Um, I mentioned the teacher initials system earlier. Um, that's if you have a child who's repeatedly been untruthful with their assignments, I think moving to the teacher initial system makes sense. It just takes a lot of the guesswork out of it. You know if the initials are there that, um, uh, that the, what's recorded is accurate and if you have to assume if they don't get initials that they're not accurate. Um, a lot of times what we do um, with children, one option is a point system, as I've mentioned, but another option is a privilege-based system. So for example, let's say you want your, your child to get four teacher initials for each of the four core classes. Well, their privileges after school each day, meaning the time they get to spend outside, the time they get to spend on TV, those things are determined, the amount of time is determined by the number of initials they get. Because we're trying, again, we're trying to counteract the fact that if they say no, they get to have lots of extra free time. So now we're saying you can earn lots of extra free time, but you're gonna, that's going to be contingent upon initials. And so, for example, if they have four initials, then the parent says that means you get, and I'll just throw out an hour and a half of free time. It, that varies between families, of course, and you can do what you want during that time. If you have three initials, that's only an hour of free time. If you have two initials, so on and so forth. So sometimes um, a daily privilege-based system can work just as well as a point system, especially when tied to teacher initials. And again, the nice part about that is that a child could get zero initials one day, and they might have zero free time. And, they might, and the parent would, in that case, have to have work for them to engage in. Um, but then they have the opportunity the next day to turn that around. The privileges are not taken away long term, because then the child has no motivation to do anything. They have the, the, the feedback the parent would give is, um, you know, today was a rough day. I'm sure tomorrow will be better. Let's see how many initials you can get, and I'm sure you'll be able to earn your two hours tomorrow. All right, thank you. This is one of our highly attended sessions. So we have a, several groups of parents who are asking similar questions. And the, we have one group that is asking uh, what to do if the school doesn't participate in, you mentioned signing, um, signing the assignment notebook and so forth, if the school or the teachers are not participating, saying that the child needs to learn to be independent. And several parents are also asking, you know, especially if having the assignment signed by the teacher is part of an IEP or a 504. What can parents do at this point? Um, so it's certainly true that school, if initials are appealing to um, parents, it's certainly tr true that some teachers are resistant to that or to some schools are resistant to that. If I understand the question, it means it sounds like sometimes those are already written into IEPs or 504s, but they're still not being followed through on. The other part of that question, if I understand it, is what about teachers or others or even parents who say, aren't we trying to encourage our child to be more independent? Why are we doing this? Why are we providing all of this monitoring and rewarding for these behaviors? Um, I think that's a critical question to be able to address, whether it's a parent who says that or a school who says that. So I'll take a moment to think about that. Um, essentially, to me, what that question is asking 
is why is my child not internally motivated? Why do I have to do all this to get my child to do these behaviors? Shouldn't they just do them? And the, the answer I often give to when I receive that question is that the goal of all of these systems is to get the child to be internally motivated to independently do these things on their own. The system is a bridge to get them to have success, which is where internal motivation comes from. It's not realistic to expect a child who has consistently received negative feedback about a behavior that they're not doing something well to all of a sudden be internally motivated to do that behavior. Internal motivation, in my opinion, comes from having success. That's why you're driven at work, those things, is because you know that that, that um, leads to success. You've had that experience in the past. Many children with ADHD have not had that experience, and so they are not internally motivated to do these things independently. And so the system is designed as a bridge to get them there. I can record my assignments. My parents are going to change, and they are going to be positive with me when they do this, and they're going to lay off some of these other things. Everyone's going to be happy and excited when I do this. Look, I can actually succeed. Um, then internal motivation takes over, and we can switch our monitoring to some other behavior. At least that's the goal, and it does happen in many cases. Um, as, so that's what I would say about that. As for the, the schools, um, working with schools can be incredibly challenging. We do that a lot in our center, honestly. We, we spend a lot of time working on, in a meeting, how do you convey to schools what you're trying to do and the importance of this. So sometimes some psychoeducation, such as what I just provided, is needed um, in that um, this is not something we want the teacher to do long term. This is a short term. Can we do this for a month or two? We want the child to get in the pattern and the routine of doing this. We want to reinforce them for doing this. And then we're hoping they're going to be internally motivated to continue. Can we do this short term? So sometimes a trial and error process is more appealing to schools along with that rationale for why we're doing it. The other thing that I have found um, is that oftentimes uh, some, not all, parents feel like they're battling with the school and that it's, it's a constant battle to get the services that they need. And so there's some negative relationships there and there's some hard feelings there. And um, we often work with parents honestly on how do you talk to the school? How do you make the most out of your meeting? How do you best convey your point? Because the, the fact is, um, and although certainly I can relate in terms of my own children and struggling and would you want the school to do something for them, getting angry, getting upset, um, anything negative in those meetings is going to have the opposite result that you want. So how can you figure out ahead of time what you're going to say to be most constructive to hopefully get what you want from the school um, is a difficult thing. And sometimes, again, working with a child psychologist or even practicing with your spouse what you're going to say um, and how you're going to stay calm and do these types of things um, is important. All right, thank you. Well, we have a, a group of parents now who are interested uh, in high schoolers. They have a group of high schoolers that they are hoping to become more independent but they also are wondering how they can help these high school students with homework, with class assignments, especially since we know that they've gotten a little more intricate than they were in the fourth grade. Right, and in fact, um, you know, it, it doesn't end. We have a large grant right now to study um, these 
same behaviors in college students because that transition can be particularly difficult because many of these supports we're, we're talking about are not possible or non-existent in college. And so I think high school is a great time. It's, it's never too late. I think high school is a great time to focus on some of these things to hopefully get encourage them to be more in, independent with their behaviors um, prior to transitioning to college. So uh, it's hard to answer the question without knowing exactly where the child, or the, in this case the adolescent, is. But uh, assuming that things are going pretty well, but perhaps things are going pretty well because the parents are providing a lot of support. I think high school is an excellent time to shift some of that responsibility to the child, to the adolescent, perhaps through self-management plans, as I very briefly went over. What are the expectations for the adolescent? The parent perhaps is going to monitor less frequently. If the parent monitors less frequently, what behaviors do we want to see the adolescent do in the interim to make sure that they don't get off track? We, uh, essentially practicing for preparing for college for things being less frequent. And we might, um, we might think about other behaviors too. So for example, time management in, in regards to after school activities and balancing your activities during the day becomes critical in college. And we might need to start putting some of that responsibility on the adolescent in high school prior to college. So for example, um, rather than the parent dictating all the, the schedules of when we go places and when homework is and, what, um, and when sports are and those types of things, can we start specifically defining what we want to see from the adolescent and um, helping them start to learn to manage their own time and, again, reinforcing them for self-managing their own time, for coming up with their own plans. So, for example, they might come up with an evening schedule. They might propose their own system of how they're going to prepare for a test across the week and when they're going to study in terms of balancing with sports and balancing with other extracurricular activities. And they might be able to try that on their own, things like that. All right, thank you. Well, we've got a third group of parents. This has been wonderful that we've been able to have some similar questions to, to share with you. But we have a third group of parents whose children live in two households. And they are wondering, um, when one parent has organizational issues themselves or they're not willing to participate, how can they help their child with these pointers that you have given, given us today when it's not being reinforced in the other home? Uh, that's a terrific question and um, a common one that we, that we encounter. So um, just to reiterate, ideally, which is not, certainly not always possible, um, we would have both individuals on the same page and both would be monitoring the same thing. If it was a Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday versus Thursday, Friday schedule, homework would still be monitored each of those days. Um, that's not always possible and that's, that's um, so we have to be realistic about that. I don't think that means that these systems can't work though. Um, I do think they can work. It just means that um, uh, it's likely to be less frequent uh, monitoring and perhaps reinforcement due to the nature of the schedule. But I would still encourage the monitoring and the reinforcement when they're in your house and when you're able to do these things. The key, uh, one of the keys is, um, just, just, and just briefly, for example, something like organization, the binder, and book bag, as I mentioned earlier, I think probably once a week is sufficient. So I don't see that as a particular limitation. But I do think it would be important, again, to frame the system positively. So it's not, oh, mom is always on my back about this and dad doesn't care or vice versa. Um, we want the child, 
adolescent to see this as an opportunity. We want to convey to them that we appreciate the hard work they've been doing. We know it's a lot of work, and you're going to give them the opportunity to earn these extra things, these points, these privileges. And so if we can do that, and I know that's a balancing act, it's not seen that one house is a negative and one is a positive. In fact, it might be a positive if we're guaranteeing the child has success, if we're setting low realistic goals. The child might view the monitoring as a positive and, and want to be monitored in that house. Again, monitoring is only a negative when it leads to battles and arguments with parents about why they didn't do these things or, um, and when, it leads, when we have unrealistic goals that children aren't achieving. If we start low, stay positive, and set realistic goals, then the house that's doing the monitoring should not be seen as a negative and, and it perhaps could be seen as a positive. All right, thank you. Well, we are now at our last question, and I'm actually going to combine two questions, one from Monica and one from Janine. And Monica was wondering, how do you help children stay focused on the homework in front of them? And Janine was wondering, how long should you work on the arenas that you have mentioned, the, the behaviors uh, to improve? One week, two weeks, so forth. Um, both excellent questions. Um, the I'll, briefly, in terms of the first question, if, you're, if your focus is on on-task behavior, then it's going to be important to define what you mean by on-task behavior. That's hard to define, but let's say we say the child is, uh, has a pencil in their hand and is writing or is looking at the page. And then what you might do is you decide um, where can the child work on work so that you can be doing other things, but you can consistently monitor that. That's why many families will use a dining room or something like that, because they can be in an adjacent room. And then you decide what your schedule is going to be. I've defined what it means to be on task. Sometimes parents will put a paper bag on the back of a chair. And every, every three minutes, say, they'll check and see whether the child meets that definition, and they'll drop something in the paper bag. You know, it could be anything, popsicle stick, a pom-pom. That's essentially indicating that a point was provided. The child met that definition for on-task behavior. You might have a jar on the table so that they can visually see that, and they drop it in. And then you've specifically defined what it means to be on-task, and it's as frequent as is possible for you, you're, you're putting in, um, you're monitoring that behavior and providing positive reinforcement in uh, as I just described. The other thing that I mentioned earlier that I would often think is important to combine with that is work completion goals. So for example, setting specific goals about um, not only, so you might say if, um, if typically the child earns five pom-poms in a 10-minute period when they could have earned 10, then you might set a goal that um, you know, if you earn um, seven pom-poms in this period, then it's, there's bonus points. Or if you earn at least five pom-poms and you um, complete this work completion goal, then there's bonus points. So for example, if you complete at least 20 math problems. It is tricky, uh, admittedly tricky, because defining on-task behavior is hard, but the same principles apply, defining what you want to see, and frequently and consistently monitoring those behaviors. As to the latter question, how long? Um, parents often ask me, am I going to have to do this forever? And um, I, just for giggles, I often just say yes. Um, and uh, the truth of it is, is that um, 
these types of systems benefit all children, and you may, you'll always probably have a behavior that you want to improve or increase in your child. Even if your child's not engaging in problematic behavior, there's probably something else that you want them to do more independently or a little bit more advanced. And so you're probably always going to be doing these things. Again, it doesn't have to be these formal point systems or reward systems, though. It can simply be making a concerted effort to define what you want the child to see and using praise, for example, as um, frequent as possible when they do engage in those behaviors. In terms of how long do you do these things, I think that depends on where the child is starting and what your goal is for the child. So let's say we start with a child who um, never has recorded any homework. If we start with, I want you to record four out of four, if that's the first goal, we're setting them up for failure. So we're going to start with one out of four, or two out of four as a goal. And we're going to move to three out of four and four out of four, and that's going to take a few weeks to get there. Um, in contrast, if we have a child who has already been doing a decent job recording homework and our goal is to get them to four out of four, it might not take as much time. So I think it depend, the timing depends on what your goal is and how fast the child makes progress towards that goal with the caveat that our end goal needs to be realistic. So 100% on task during homework, for example, for a child with ADHD is probably not a realistic goal. And so if we set that goal, um, we may never get there. So what is a realistic goal? What can you be happy about? Maybe that's 80% or 75% if we're talking about an improvement from 30% or 40% of the time on task. So I think that's an important consideration. All right. Well, thank you so much, Dr. Langberg. We have had so many calls, I'm sorry, so many questions submitted today that we were not able to get near, uh, get them all to you. Dr. Langberg, we haven't been able to offer them all as questions. So I would like to take a moment to remind our participants that they can contact the National Resource Center on ADHD. And here's our phone number again, 1-800-233-4050. And we're available Monday to Friday from 1 to 5 p.m. And you can reach us online at help4adhd.org. And we have a great deal of information on education, school, work, some information on working on homework, and information on your children's educational rights. We mentioned IEPs and 504s earlier. So I do want to remind you that you can contact our health information specialist, and we'd be happy to talk with you. And we, al we also hope that you will take a moment to complete our survey. Um, and let us know how we did and to share your feedback. The survey will appear on your screen at the end of the webcast. And it is very helpful for us in planning our next Ask the Expert sessions. Also, please join us on Friday, September 25th for Not Just Chatty Cathy, Girls' Experience with ADHD, featuring Dr. Ellen Littman. She's the author of Understanding Girls with ADHD. We know that ADHD can affect girls differently than it does boys, and Dr. Littman is going to discuss those differences and how we can help our daughters and young women who have ADHD. You can register now at help4adhd.org or at chad.org askthexpert slash asktheexpert for this webcast. We'd like to thank you, Dr. Langberg, for being with us today. And we'd like to thank our participants for joining us. And we hope that you will join us again on September 25th. This concludes our webcast. Have a nice day.